I want to start by playing a game. We're going to play two truths and a lie. So I'm going to say three statements. One's going to be a lie, and you need to try and work out which one's which. Okay, so here, here are the statements. I played a whole season of basketball and scored just one basket. Truth or lie? I was the founding member of the Demon Bike Riding Club. Truth or lie? I once played the part of a clown in an Anglican cathedral. Truth or lie? Go with your gut. Pick one. You got yours in your head? Which one do you think it is? Okay. I played a whole season of basketball and only scored one basket. Who thought that was true? How nasty. Really? Who thought that was a lie? You're right. I scored no baskets. <laughs> it's true. How do you feel about playing games where you tell lies? It's a bit weird, isn't it? That can be fun. I don't know if you've played Boulder Dash before, but I love that game. I think it's hilarious. Lies can seem innocent, can't they? Just a bit of fun. They can be part of a fun board game. We say lies to save face, don't we? We, we speak lies to make people feel good. We've all done that. Lies are just a normal part of everyday life these days. But we all also know that lives, lies, sorry, lies can be profoundly destructive. We've been the recipients of lies. People have told us lies and it's deeply hurt. All of us have been in that situation. And all of us have been on the other side too, haven't we? We've said lies. We've told lies. And it's hurt. We've all done it. Imagine if you were to build your life on a lie. Live for a deception. How terrible would it be to discover that that's what you had done? I watched a documentary called The Social Dilemma. Uh, if you haven't watched it, it's great. It's really worth watching. Um, it seeks to uncover the dark side of social media. And we're going to watch just a clip of the trailer. Uh, and we're going to do that right now. What I want people to know is that everything they're doing online is being watched, is being tracked. Every single action you take is carefully monitored and recorded. A lot of people think Google's just a search box and Facebook's just a place to see what my friends are doing. What they don't realize is there's entire teams of engineers whose job is to use your psychology against you. I was the co-inventor of the Facebook like button. I was the president of Pinterest. Google. Twitter. Instagram. There were meaningful changes happening around the world because of these platforms. I think we were naive about the flip side of that coin. And the documentary is about the flip side of that coin, the dark side of social media. People who worked in Facebook, people who worked in Pinterest and Google and Twitter and you name it, and they were working for something that they thought was productive and helpful in the community, for community change. But they realised that what they were actually a part of was deep in manipulation and deception. Imagine being one of those guys and working that out for the first time. You woke up one morning and thought, wow, this is not what I thought it was. I'm part of a deception and a lie. And then they made the choice to opt out because they didn't want to be a part of it anymore. Over the last few weeks, we've been walking with Jesus, haven't, haven't we? Walking with Jesus as he's making his way to the cross in his final hours through that dark night of betrayal 
through the farcical trial that we saw last week before the Jewish authorities, all, all leading to the horror, to the glory of the cross, the wonder of the cross. This week and next week, as we finish chapter 18 and begin chapter 19, we're going to meet Jesus the King. We've already met him. We're going to see more and more what, he, what it means that he's the king. As the king come face to face with his people, with his accusers, with, with the rulers of his time. And again and again we see him rejected and spurned and mocked and beaten. And yet all, all the while he's in complete control of everything that's going on. Today we meet Jesus who brings us the truth. The king who speaks the truth. The king who testifies to the truth. Who is the truth. Who exposes the lies and the deceptions of our world. Lies that we're all tempted to listen to. And the king has a question for us. Will we listen to the world and its deceptions? Or will we listen to the king who speaks the truth that we need to hear? Last week, we left the narrative with Jesus in the darkness. He was being taken from the home of Annas, the high priest emeritus, the the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the current high priest. We saw the farce of a trial that happened in that house as they were determined to find something to take to Pilate so that Pilate would say, yes, you can crucify him. We left with the sound of a rooster crowing, echoing in the early morning. As Jesus is taken to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. John doesn't actually tell us what happened in that house, in Caiaphas's house. It's actually a meeting of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. He doesn't feel like we need to know what happened there because we've seen enough already. We've seen the farce of a trial that started at Annas's place and will continue at Caiaphas's. So John instead takes us straight to the governor's palace, the military headquarters of Roman rule in Jerusalem, where Pilate, the Roman governor, he would stay there whenever he was in the city. And he made sure he was in the city at any significant festival like the Passover. And Pilate and the Jews are not friends. Pilate was a man who earlier had quelled a rebellion, killing Jews, coming to worship God at the temple and mixing their blood with the sacrifices they came to bring. That's the sort of guy this guy is. There was no love lost between the Jews and Pilate. They had history, a dark and unstable history. Pilate, we need to keep in mind, would have been the one who approved the use of the soldiers at the arrest of Jesus. And so it's possible that the, that the authorities were expecting that when they came to Pilate with Jesus, they would get a quick tick, a quick okay, yep, you can take him and crucify him. Well, if that's what they were thinking, then they, then they weren't going to get it that easily after all. Because when Pilate sees Jesus, he's going to make sure that the Jews need to jump through every hoop, acknowledge his authority. They're going to have to play his game if they're going to get what he if they're going to get what they want. They, have, they would have to acknowledge that he's the boss of this whole situation, as far as he was concerned. In this scene, we're confronted once again by the rank hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders, refusing, notice they refuse to enter into Pilate's palace. Why? Because they don't want to make themselves unclean. They want to make sure they can 
celebrate the festival of the Passover. So there's this veneer of religious devotion. And what are they doing at the time? At the time, what they're doing is they're carrying out a massive miscarriage of justice, and knowingly so, determined to have an innocent man murdered for the sake of their own standing and influence. That's what these guys are really like. But, oh, no, no, we need to make sure we can celebrate the Passover. It's terrible hypocrisy, isn't it? So Pilate asks, verse 28, what charges are you bringing against this man? And so the dance between Pilate and the Jewish authorities begins. Pilate throws it back in their court. Verse 31, he's saying, it's got nothing to do with Roman law, it's got all to do with your law. So you work it out. You try him. And so the Jewish leaders are forced to acknowledge that only Pilate has the power to give them what they want, to have Jesus crucified. And so Pilate takes Jesus in private and questions him. We'll come back and have a look at the details of that question. We'll spend most of our time in there, in that private room with Jesus and Pilate. But the end result is he finds no reason to find him guilty. The Jewish leaders say he claims to be a king. They say he claims to be a threat to Roman rule, guilty of treason. Pilate sees no threat in Jesus at all. Verse 38, I find no basis for charges against this man. He's innocent. And so he offers to release the king of the Jews. You can just imagine, you know, the Pharisees just squirming as Pilate uses that term to refer to the one they'd handed over, the king of the Jews. And so he offers to hand Jesus back and release him, or to release Barabbas, a man known to be taking part in a bloody rebellion and in murder, one who really is a threat to Roman peace. Now, why does Pilate do this? It's possible he's hoping that the crowd would side with Jesus. Gee, that would be that would be really to stick it up to the religious authorities, wouldn't it? If the crowd turned against them, wouldn't that be funny? Pilate would love that. If that's what he wanted, then it all backfires, as the crowd say, led by the Jewish authorities, release Barabbas instead. They want a known rebel released instead of their king, and that irony, the terrible irony, is not lost on Pilate. The people, the crowd, they reject their king. They prefer instead the lies and the deceptions of their religious leaders. So there's a summary of what we just, what Dan just read for us. The summary of the narrative flow in this section that John brings to us of Jesus the king and Pilate the governor. And again and again through this we see Jesus the king alone and rejected and, and spurned He's accused of claiming to be a king. That's a title he does accept. Yes, he's a king. But it's a title rejected by his people. And as I said, in the middle of this drama, John takes us into this private interrogation of Jesus by Pilate. This private meeting and conversation between these two men. The Roman governor and Jesus the king. And that's where we'll spend most of our time tonight. And in this interaction, Pilate comes face to face with God's chosen, eternal, appointed king. And in this interaction, we see how Jesus understands what his kingship is all about and how deeply it's connected to the truth he came to bring, a truth that exposes and uncovers the lies, the deceptions of our world. So verse 33, Pilate asks Jesus if he's the king of the Jews. 
After a brief interaction, Jesus says this about the nature of his kingship. Verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus said, yes, I'm a king. But not of a kingdom like you understand a kingdom, Pilate. A different sort of kingdom. A heavenly kingdom. Not a national kingdom. Not like the Roman Empire. It's the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom that he had already spoken about in John, in John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes to John in the dark of night to, to ask him more about what he's saying and what he's teaching. And this is what Jesus says about this kingdom. John chapter 3, verse 3, it'll come up on the screen. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus is confused. He can't understand what he's talking about. And so Jesus repeats it, verse 5. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. To be a part of this kingdom, you need to be born again. Nicodemus thought he was a part of God's kingdom simply because he was born into it, simply because he was a Jew. And Jesus says, no, no, no. God's got to make you a part of this kingdom. God's got to give you the new life you need to be in this kingdom. And that left Nicodemus just scratching his head. He couldn't understand what was going on. And so he goes on to explain, Jesus does. Verses 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. The kingdom that Jesus claims to bring is an eternal kingdom with eternal life. And to enter that kingdom, to receive this eternal life, you need to believe in Jesus. You need to trust in him. That's what this kingdom is all about. That's how it works. Belief in Jesus brings you into his kingdom and means that you're now under his sovereign care and his sovereign rule. If Jesus is our king, then our allegiance isn't to the ways and the purposes and the kingdoms of this world. No, no, we have a greater king, a heavenly king. And to belong to this kingdom is to belong to something much bigger, much greater, much more significant than the passing kingdoms and reigns of the reigns and rulers of this world. All kingdoms are characterised in different ways, aren't they? So the Roman emperor, the Roman empire was a kingdom that was marked by, by order and by efficiency and power and privilege and slavery and violent suppression of anyone who would have the hide to stand against the might of Rome. Our kingdom, our modern Western empire is a kingdom that's marked by money and influence and popular opinion and the appearance of happiness and, and the mantra of me be me ideology. That's what our kingdoms are like. What about the kingdom of King Jesus? What marks that kingdom? What's the central core mark that, of the kingdom that Jesus came to bring? It's truth. It's truth. In verse 37, after Jesus said to Pilate that his kingdom was not of this world, Pilate asked Jesus if he was a king. And in his reply, we see the core mark of truth in Jesus' kingdom. You can see in verse 37, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. The word truth comes up once or twice in Matthew, Mark, Luke. In John, it comes up 23 times. It's a massive theme in John. 
And so when Jesus says these words, that the reason he came was to testify to the truth, there's a massive backstory through the whole of John about what he means when he says that, what's involved in this word truth. And it's important to appreciate what he means when he says this. When Jesus says he came into the world to testify to the truth, I actually find those words a little bit strange, a little bit... I wouldn't expect him to say that. I'd expect him to say... Something like, I've come into the world to seek and save the lost, or I've come into the world to bring forgiveness of sins. That's, how, that's what I think about what Jesus came to this world to do, if we're going to boil it down to a single statement. But here he says, I come to testify to the truth. How is that so key? Let's go back to John 1. To help us appreciate what Jesus means when he said that he came into this world to testify to the truth. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Then verse 17 in the same chapter, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. What does it mean that Jesus came to testify to the truth? Jesus came as the word enfleshed. The word become man. To hear Jesus is to hear God speak. To hear Jesus, to know Jesus, is to know the Father. The true God of heaven and earth, our creator, our judge, is revealed in the Son. We can't see God. We can't know God unless God speaks, unless God reveals himself. And that's what he's done in Jesus. In Jesus, we see the God who made us, what he's like from the inside. The glory of God is revealed in Christ. Jesus said this in chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Aren't they profound words? The truth that Jesus brings, the truth that Jesus testifies to, is nothing less than the self disclosure of the living God. To know the truth that Jesus came to bring is to know Jesus himself, to know his Father and our Father. If Jesus comes to bring the truth, then what does it say of our world without Jesus? If Jesus testifies to the truth, if Jesus reveals God to us, then what is life like without him? In John 1, John describes the world as a place of darkness and sin and a place where the, the rule and the love of God is rejected. A rejection that would ultimately culminate in the death of Jesus Christ, in his rejection. If Jesus comes to testify to the truth, then without Jesus, the world is lost in deception and lies. Jesus brings the truth to a world full of lies. Have a look at what Jesus said in John chapter 8. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, if you were to keep reading through John chapter 8, you'd see that when the Jews heard that, they just arced up. They just said, What? 
Like, are you saying that we're enslaved? We've never been a slave to anybody. We don't need to be set free. And Jesus said, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. And he told them that the reason that they, didn't, they don't believe him, the reason they don't recognise him, is because they believe the lies of the world. That they've sided with Satan. They've been deceived by Satan. And it's these lies, it's these deceptions, which ultimately lead to the death of Jesus Christ. Because he brings the truth. When we read through the account of Jesus' arrest and his trial and his torture and then his crucifixion, we can so often think, why? Why did humanity do that? To this one who came and loved and cared and walked on water and healed and raised the dead and spoke with such clarity and truth. Why did they, why did we kill him like that? How could we kill him like that? How? Why? Because we love the lies of the world. That's why. And we don't want to hear the truth. Like Adam and Eve, we preferred the lies to the truth. We believed the lie that God doesn't care. The lie that God doesn't know best. The lie that God can't be trusted. The lie that I know what's best for me. I'm the ruler of my life. I decide what's right and wrong for me. The lie that sin is not a big issue. The lie that death's not really something to be scared of. The lie that I don't need God and life's better without him. The world is lost in these lies, in these deceptions, lies that take us back to Genesis 3. They're the lies of Satan that we all find attractive, that we convince ourselves are true, lives that blind us to seeing the truth about God in his Son. And when we're confronted with it, we want to get rid of it. Every time we sin, Every time we lie or cheat or ignore or hate or gossip, whatever it might be, every time we do that, we're showing that we love these lies and we think that they're true in some way. We tell ourselves, we've got this, when we haven't got this. We tell ourselves, it really doesn't matter, everybody does it. Or it actually doesn't matter if everybody does it, it really still does matter. We tell ourselves, if no one finds out, it's okay. And it's not okay. And God knows and sees everything. We live as if there's no God when creation screams that that's just not true. And Jesus has revealed that that's just not true. God is real. We will see him one day, face to face on that great day of judgment, the day when all the lies and deceptions will just melt away and we're left facing our God and our judge. And without Jesus, that's a terrible place to be. In the privacy of Pilate's palace, Jesus said these words, The reason I was born and came into the world was to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Pilate responded to that with a question, a really important question. You can see it in verse 38. He says, what is truth? What is truth? That's a really important question to ask, isn't it? 
And Pilate asks it dismissively, but we all need to ask it, knowing the deep importance to get the answer right. Jesus makes a big claim that he's the truth that the world needs to hear, that without him, our world, my world, your world is lost in self-deception and darkness. To build our lives on a lie, wouldn't that be terribly tragic? To get to the end and realise that our life was shaped on something that was empty, that was void, that was worthless and darkness, when all along Jesus was saying, listen to me, my words are truth. What a tragedy that would be. Pilate, when he heard these words, he had a choice to make. Would he listen to the voice of Jesus? Would he, would he hear this truth? Would the truth set him free? Or would he continue to play the game? Would he continue to listen to the deceptions of the world, the, the lies that he loves to believe? What will he do? Well, we all know what he does. He continues to play the game. He'll hand over Barabbas. He'll sign the death warrant for Jesus, even though he thinks he's innocent. He does not think that Jesus is the truth, that Jesus testifies to the truth. He actually prefers his own world where he's king, where he gets to decide what's right and what's wrong, and where the question of truth really is just largely irrelevant to him. Pilate releases Barabbas, hands Jesus over to be murdered because he prefers the same lies that we all want to believe. That I am ultimately just accountable to me. But the truth in the end is irrelevant if it stops me living the way that I want to live, and I'll just ignore it. Expediency, what works for me, for what I want to do, that's the only truth that mattered to Pilate. And so often we betray that that's how we think too. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me, Jesus said. Jesus came bringing truth. Jesus is the word become flesh. To hear Jesus, we hear God speak. To know Jesus is to know the Father and see him in all his glory. The truth that Jesus brings is the self-disclosure of God. He comes to bring light to the darkness. He comes to bring life to the dead. His testimony to the truth uncovers the lies and deceptions of our world. He confronts the religious lies and hypocrisy. He confronts our half-truths and our deceptions of our world and exposes the sinfulness and depravity of humanity. That's what Jesus came to do. And in so doing, the self-deceptions and excuses for the way that we treat others and the way that we treat God. And all those things are confronted by the person of Jesus Christ, and in particular, his death and resurrection. So like Pilate, will you dismiss him and his words as irrelevant to you? Or will you listen to him and listen to him again and listen to him again? Come under the sound of this truth that we all need to hear, that exposes the lies that we like to believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you didn't leave us in our self-absorption, in our self-deception, in the lies that we tell ourselves that let us live the way that we want to. Instead, you came into this world with the truth and confronted those lies. 
And because we love those lies, we killed your son. But in that way, you brought salvation and forgiveness that we so desperately need. Father, help us to be people who listen to you as we listen to your son. Help us to respond in ongoing repentance and faith. Expose the lies that we like to believe. Help us instead to be discipled by you and your word and your truth, which is life. Amen.